0: May God add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this glorious display of your power on behalf of your people against the enemies of the Lord. Lord, we have our own enemies every day. We have those who assail us, those who attack us, those who who seek to deceive us. We have principalities and powers and rulers of spiritual darkness. And Lord, we pray that you would come alongside of us and that you would show forth your strength and power to deliver us and enable us like the people in Jehoshaphat's day that we might rejoice greatly in the Lord our God. I pray that you would bless now your word and use it in our lives to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In case of an emergency, how many of you have been taught or trained to react, to respond in a certain way and to do so quickly? For instance, if you hear someone yell, fire! What do you do? Well, the first thing you do is look for an exit. If you're in your home, you get out of the house. That's what you're trained to do. Get out of the house if it's on fire. Or if you come up on someone who has been severely injured, what do you do? You call 911. That's what you've been trained to do. If you come up and someone stops breathing... What do you do? Well, hopefully you know how to do CPR. These are the ways in which we respond to many physical emergencies. But what would you do if the emergency was a spiritual emergency? What if it was something, a situation, a circumstance that you can't handle. This is out of your domain. This is a spiritual emergency, a spiritual attack, or a life-threatening, spiritually life-threatening situation, a sudden affliction, a powerful temptation. What is the first thing you would do? Well, hopefully... For those of you who were here this morning and you heard the first part of this, this passage, you would say, my first response is going to be to set myself to seek the Lord, to call upon the name of the Lord, to reach out to him, to be my strength, to be my help, to respond in a way that resembles the way Jehoshaphat responded in this particular situation this morning we saw that this this king good king was a man who in spite of his fear at the the insurmountable odds that had risen against him he set himself to seek the lord and not just in an ordinary or casual way in which he stopped for a few minutes to to pray a, a quick prayer to God and ask for his help. No, this man sought the Lord earnestly. He proclaimed a fast. He declared that all Judah was to gather together with him in his seeking the Lord. And so we see this man with great zeal and urgency, With careful thought and biblical language, he prays. He prays to God, the Lord God, the God of my fathers, the God of the covenant. And he comes to God and he prays like his life depends upon it. And in actuality, it did. So here is this man, who prays to God. Now, this morning, we worked our way down through verse 9. And so we pick up, having seen Jehoshaphat focus upon the glory of God, thinking and speaking of numerous high and biblical notions of who God is and what he has done and what he has promised to do, especially here. Notice the emphasis upon God answering prayer. His prayers are based on the promises that God has given before. So if you look back, for instance, to Second Chronicles six and verse 19, in Second Chronicles six and verse 19. We have this, yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God. Listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you. And then down in verse 24, he has this specific promise. If your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you and return and confess your name, and pray and make supplication before you in this temple. Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel. And bring them back to the land. And then words that many of us have heard numerous times. Especially in recent years. From Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14. Again a promise of God how he will answer the prayer of his people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The prayers that Jehoshaphat is praying are based upon the promises that God has given him. And brothers and sisters, this man, Jehoshaphat, has more to teach us about laying hold of God and receiving help from him in times of trouble. We're going to look at two main areas tonight as you have them there in your bulletin. Number one is going to be a lesson in praying for God's judgment upon the wicked. Not a common concept that we hear about today, but we'll get to that. And then the second area is going to be a lesson in praying for God's blessing upon his children, upon the helpless. So let's look, first of all, at this idea of praying for God's judgment upon the wicked. Now, we said this morning that when you think of King Jehoshaphat, many people might not even know who you're talking about. So let's talk about King David, because if you know anything about Old Testament history, you probably know about King David. What do you think of when you think of King David? Well, you might go back to the beginning and think, well, here was a, a shepherd boy who was able to kill a giant nine and a half feet tall with a slingshot. It's pretty impressive. Or you might think, here was, as he is frequently designated in the scriptures, a man after God's own heart. I can still remember as as a teenager, if I wanted anyone to describe me, it would have been that way. Here is someone after God's own heart. That's what David was. He was a God-fearing and God-loving man seeking after God's own heart. Or he is on occasion referred to as the sweet psalmist of Israel, the sweet singer. He is the one that wrote so many of those psalms that we love to sing. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. But more than likely, when you think of David, you don't think of the one who wrote the imprecatory psalms. You don't think of a man who prayed that God would pour out judgment upon the wicked. But listen to what he has to say in verse 34 or or Psalm 34. When we we see what the psalmist has to say here and how he responds. Actually, it's Psalm 35 in verse 1. When the psalmist says, Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. In verse 4, Let them be put to shame who seek my life. Let those be turned back and brought to confusion. In verse 5, Let the angel of the Lord chase them. It's an interesting description. In verse 6, Let their way be dark and slippery. And in verse 8, let destruction come upon him unexpectedly. Or we could turn over to Psalm 58, where in verse 6, the psalmist says, Break their teeth in their mouth, O God. In Psalm 59 in verse 13, consume them. In wrath, consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God rules in Jacob, ends of the earth. But my friends, David is not the only one who speaks in this manner. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy about Alexander the coppersmith. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 19, he speaks of some who have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan. Not a real lovey-dovey expression, is it? I have delivered this man unto Satan. A little while later, in his second letter to Timothy in chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, and verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. So we have David, we have the apostle Paul, And, of course, we have Jehoshaphat praying, Lord, see these people of Ammon and Moab. Will you not judge them? Will you not pour out wrath upon them for the wickedness that they have done? Now, brothers and sisters, we have to be pretty careful here because we're not meant to go out pronouncing curses on everybody who disagrees with us that's not what is taking place here recognize that in each one of these cases these prayers are not vindictive they are not just I want to get revenge against this person because he hurt my feelings the point here particularly with Jehoshaphat, is that God's name, the honor that belongs to God's name, is being slandered by these people. And the word and will and work of God in in accomplishing His purposes is being resisted, yea, overturned by these individuals. You notice how the, the... King speaks here when he says in verse 11, you gave us this land. This is our inheritance. You brought us here and you gave it to us and now they want to come and throw us out of our inheritance. This is an attack upon God and upon his purposes and upon his glory. And that's why we see Jehoshaphat praying as he does. And we need to remember the church has not been given the power of the sword. We have not been given or or called to execute justice upon the wicked. But my friends, we have been given the power of prayer. And we should use it more frequently when it comes to seeing God rise up against the wicked. We should use it against the enemies of God. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 68 in verse 1. He says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Or later in in the book of Isaiah... In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil. Listen, here's the purpose. To make your name known among your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. My friends, we are to use prayer against the enemies of God for the sake of his honor, for the sake of his purposes. And so here, when we see the enemy come in like a flood, we pray God raise up a standard against him. When we see the wicked prosper in their devices, It is not unloving for us to pray earnestly that God would come down from heaven and show himself strong for the cause of righteousness and truth. We are to pray that God would intervene, that God would confound the wicked, that he would frustrate their plans, that he would bring their devices upon their own heads. That's what Jehoshaphat is doing. And that is what we ought to do as well. But let's look secondly at a lesson in praying for God's blessing upon his people, upon the poor, the helpless, the needy. In verse 12, we hear Jehoshaphat praying for judgment upon the wicked. But that petition is coupled with various other important principles as well and so we hear specifically jehoshaphat saying we're weak we have no power against this enemy we have no strength whatsoever we also hear him confessing his need for wisdom we don't even know what to do we don't know which way to go what to what we should do And then we have clear expressions of his faith and trust in God when he says, but our eyes are on you. Well, let's take those three elements, the confession of weakness. We have no power against this multitude. Now, that's a pretty interesting proclamation because if you look back at chapter 17... And verse 12, we read Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. And then he numbers the different groups who had joined him as his men of war. And the numbers total right around a million men. It's not exactly an army to sneeze at, is it? Joshua had had a million men. And he had multiple resources. He he was increasingly powerful. He had, in, in chapter 18 and verse 1, he had riches and honor in abundance. He had a lot of resources. Now, it may have been just a matter of numbers. Maybe he had a million. Maybe Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir combined had two million. I'm not positive of exactly why. But I think there's more to it here than numbers. I think King Jehoshaphat, as a righteous man, Understood what Zechariah would later write that the victory is not by might nor by power but it's by my spirit says the Lord it's not because I got more numbers it's not because I got more money the question is do I have the spirit of the Lord am I moving and working and fighting the battles in the might and power of the Spirit of God. Remember how Solomon puts it in Ecclesiastes nine eleven: the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. You know, we're so prone to think about the physical statistics, but it's more about the spiritual power. It's not about being quicker. It's not about being stronger. Whatever the case, Jehoshaphat knew that he did not have what it would take for victory. He knew that he was no match for these enemies. There's no pride. There's no self-confidence. There's no self-assurance or arrogance here. He is weak. He is powerless. And he knows it. And therefore, he prays earnestly for God to help him how much more is that true of us my friends every day of our lives we are confronted with our powerlessness can you guarantee the health of your children can you guarantee another day of life for yourself, for other members of your family. We are weak. We are helpless. When you see the decline of our culture, as we mentioned last week, that that our society is throwing away with both hands every vestige of God's law in society. Can you change that? Can you stop the tide? we like jehoshaphat can say lord we have no might against this foe we have no power we have no strength and the first step towards deliverance is recognizing that you and our I are powerless to change the situation before us and what's interesting we're not going to take time to turn there or to unpack it but oftentimes God puts us in those crisis situations where we see our weakness. And you remember how it happens with the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, I was exalted, I was lifted up to the third heaven, but a thorn in the flesh was given to me. God humbled him. GREATLY. And Paul says the reason was that I might come to understand that in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. It's in those powerless moments where we have no strength against our enemies that God's strength is made perfect. Secondly, we see a confession of our need for wisdom. We don't know what to do. You know, it's one thing not to be able to do something, not to have the power to do it. You know what needs to be done, but you can't. You're not able. But in this case, he says, not only do, do we have no power to do it, we don't even know what to do. We don't even know which way to turn. We don't, we don't even know how to pray. It's interesting the way Paul describes it when he talks about the Spirit interceding with groanings that can't be uttered. Have you ever experienced that? Times perhaps when you go to the Lord in prayer and your heart is broken, Maybe your whole life is broken and you don't even know what to say. Paul tells us that the Spirit intercedes with groanings that can't be spoken. He pleads. He knows our need. He knows our weakness. Have you ever been where Jehoshaphat is here Are you here now in a place where you don't even know what to do? Learn this lesson sooner rather than later because it will be invaluable when it comes to obtaining help from the Lord. James 1 reminds us, what do you do? When you need wisdom, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Go to the Lord, just as Jehoshaphat did, and call upon him that he would help, that he would give wisdom. Peter underscores this in chapter 5 and verses 5 and 6 when he says, Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then we see a confession of our faith in God. When Jehoshaphat says, but our eyes are on you. This whole episode, my friends, is an exercise of faith. It's an exercise of trust in God, of leaning upon Him and believing His Word. The people of Judah calling upon the name of their God and expecting an answer. They're expecting God to work. And there, they gather together. Now notice exactly what takes place here. When we read in Second Chronicles 20, and he says in verse 13, Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, In the midst of the assembly, he said, listen all you of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed because of this great multitude. The battle is not yours, but God's. Here God speaks to his people in response to their prayer of faith. He speaks to them. He comforts them. He encourages them. But notice, parents, mark these words. Here in verse 13 and following. Young people, listen, children. Listen to what we see here. Because what we see here is this. There is no better place for you and your children, ladies and gentlemen, to be in the house of the Lord hearing the word of God. That is where God comforts. That is where God speaks. And the spirit of the Lord comes as all the people come. Even their little ones. The word is for infants. Infants. They're coming, gathering together, and they're there before the Lord, praying together, and God speaks to them. And he speaks word of the comfort and encouragement and instruction. And so Jehaziel says, stand still. You're not even gonna have to lift a finger. Just stand still and see the salvation. Of God. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed because the Lord is with you. And you're going to see that. And then Jehoshaphat picks it up in verse 20 and he repeats it. He says, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord, believe his word, believe his prophets. And you shall prosper. And then, I love this part, because Jehoshaphat says, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to start singing praise to God. And that singing and praise to God leads to a blessing beyond their possible conception. As they praise the Lord for who He is and what He's done God moves, and he moves powerfully. He completely wipes out the enemy of the Lord and of the Lord's people as they sing praise to him. Jehoshaphat confessed, we have no might or strength against this foe. We don't even know what to do, but our eyes are upon you we are praying, we are looking, we are expecting you to work. And what happens? God does exceedingly, abundantly, above all they could even ask or think. And the enemy turns upon one another and wipes everyone out completely. And all Israel has to do is to walk into the camp and start looting the spoil. And remember what it says? It took them three days just to pick up the stuff and haul it off. And they didn't have to lift a finger to accomplish it. God bestows grace Without measure. When people call upon him in faith. He gives comfort. He gives wisdom. He gives strength. He gives blessing. My friends as we close this evening. I hope you will not stop thinking. About this situation. How God is our refuge. And strength. How he is a very present help in times of trouble. Remember those words from Peter in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 when he says, Cast your cares upon the Lord, because he cares for you. Whatever your particular need, be it great or be it small. Maybe it's a full-fledged crisis and you don't know what to do. You have no might, no strength but you can call upon the Lord. Your eyes can be upon Him. You can exercise faith and trust, believe His Word, believe His prophets, believe the revealed scriptures that He's given us. And hold on fast to him. He will hold on fast to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your abundant grace to Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. Lord, we thank you that you have recorded this for us in your word. And we ask that you would continue to work in us that confidence and joy and hope and expectation that our eyes would be upon you in every need and in every circumstance and situation. And may it all be for the glory of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.